Well, hey, good morning, Journey. How's everybody doing today? Good? All right. Well, we are so excited that you're here. Uh, man, I just, I just assumed everybody got an extra hour of sleep, so we'd be packed out, right? Uh, so but you're here, uh, and so hopefully not too sleepy or worse for wear. You always think when we have that time change, that I'm going to get that extra hour. I don't know why I never do that. It just doesn't happen at our house. But uh, we are thankful to be here, gathered together with the body of Christ to worship this morning. So if you've been looking ahead in First Peter, kind of as we've walked through this text, we are in chapter 3 this week, right? And I, and maybe um, maybe some guys out there were looking ahead and said, all right, here we go. This is going to be great. Pastor Mark is going to lay it on the ladies. They need to start submitting, all right? We need some submission going on in our household this week, right? Yeah. Hopefully, that's not what you're thinking, because if it is, you're going to be sorely disappointed this morning, okay? Because you're going to hear submission from a different perspective, possibly, uh, this morning. So um, I want you to think about a couple of things this morning. They're, they're prop, quite possibly uh, here in this room this morning uh, for different, uh, I guess, groups uh, of people that would be gathered here or listening online, okay? And these are in our roles and relationships at these different places that we find ourselves in life, okay? So um, there may be those here who are single, they're listening, and they're waiting for a husband or wife. They're waiting for that person that they can spend their life with and grow together with. Uh, maybe there's those who, who have experienced the heartbreak and the tragedy of divorce in your life somewhere, right? And you're trying to pick up those pieces and, and figure out, how do, how do I fit in this whole relationship circle now? And there, there may be those who, are mar- who were both uh, uh, Christians when they got married. They were both followers of Christ. But there also may be those who are married who are either um, in an unequally yoked relationship, and we'll explain what that means, but just the short and dry of it is uh, one of the spouses is a believer and the other's not, okay? Or, and I'll even throw another one out there, possibly you came into marriage thinking your spouse was a believer, and then later they let you know, by the way, I'm an agnostic, or I'm an atheist, or I don't really believe in God anymore, and and so now you feel trapped. I want to tell you, um, God sympathizes with that, and and, and I'm going to explain how and why, uh, because it's important to know where you're at on the relationship journey. I truly believe that because I believe wherever you're at on that journey, your journey to faith will often determine your view of your relationship in marriage, okay? Whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whether you're currently married, whether you're in an unequally yoked relationship, okay? So so the way you view your relationship with Jesus Christ is going to tremendously impact those relationships. So, So this is part of what Peter is going to teach us and show us this morning is that it's so much deeper than we think it is. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to 1 Peter chapter 3. Okay, and if you don't, there's a, if you're here, there's, there's Bibles on the back table, please grab one of those. I always forget to remind you of that, and, and if you don't have a Bible that you study regularly, take one of those with you. Uh, that's our gift to you this morning. But we're going to begin in First Peter chapter 3, and we're just going to read seven short verses this morning. Okay, so uh, if you have that, once you have that on your app or your Bible, if you'd stand with me this morning uh, in honor of reading this together as a body of believers. Peter writes to the church 
Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word uh, by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the wearing of gold or the putting on of clothes, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are, here, are her children if you do good and do fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives. In an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The reading of God's word. You can be seated this morning. So a couple of things. There's a lot of words and language going on, right? And so when you hear some of these words, different things are going to come to your mind, right? Different things are going to, to play a part. So, so part of what First Peter okay, definitely is, is telling us, and we looked at this last week, is how do we respond in those relationships, right? Whether it's to authority over us, are we submitting to things that we need to be submitting to? Um, or, uh, and you could even read the very beginning of this and think, was well, this just mean that, that women are supposed to be quiet and barefoot and pregnant and not say anything and just, just kind of fall into the background? I, I don't think that's what Peter's saying at all. No, I think the bigger picture here is that women, okay, are to let their actions speak for themselves, right? This possibly leads even to the idea of winning a husband or a wife or a spouse who doesn't know the Lord to Christ. So our end goal, we have, we have two end goals for being on this planet, okay? One is to glorify God, and the other one is to reach as many people with the gospel as we can before we check out, okay? That, that's it. Period. That's why we're here. And, and Peter's not intending for Christian wives in any way to submit to a command to sin. Okay, He's not telling them to submit to abuse because this could be taken another way and lead a wife to stay in an abusive relationship because she read this and said, well, I'm supposed to submit to that. That is never God's plan. In fact, well, by the way, there are laws in place against that, okay? So if you believe what we read last week about the authority over us, you're breaking the law, okay? But you're also breaking God's law. You would never do that uh, as a Christian. So we're called, all of us, to a life change, a personal realignment of our relationship. So wherever you're at on that spectrum I just laid out at the beginning, on that relationship triangle, okay, all of those things are going to come to fruition in your relationship with Christ. Um, so Casey uh, McCain, uh, most of you probably will not remember you. I think a few may. Uh, Casey was here uh, towards the beginning of the journey uh, when we started. And uh, she, uh, Casey and her husband Kyle um, would come uh, and, and were very faithful and they served. Uh, Casey talks about um, that when she was 16 years old, um, she said she remembers um, that, um, that, that she came to a, a relationship with Jesus Christ in her life, and it radically changed her life. Uh, Kyle grew up in an atheistic home, but he was actually baptized in Casey's 
home shortly after they began dating. After they were married, they attended church and uh, on and off for a while. Uh, and then uh, they uh, quit altogether, but then they got deployed to Germany and they started attending again. And as they came back stateside, uh, they were in Oklahoma for a short time. And since you notice that Kyle began to hate to come to church. He began to hate to, to be in church. He just didn't like uh, worship. He didn't like attending uh, church at all. Casey admits that when they moved to Colleen, Texas, she found the Journey Church by God's divine plan. After moving here, she met Jesus, she said, for the first time with her whole heart. She said she learned what it meant to truly follow him. And she talks about how she began to be convicted to read the Bible. And she began to read the New Testament, the Old Testament, all the way through. And she says, I fell head over heels in love with Jesus. Now her relationship with Christ began to consume her and change her marriage and how she viewed her marriage relationship. Now stick with me. Late in 2013, Kyle revealed to Casey that he even hated praise and worship. He didn't like the music part of the service. So to keep peace in their home, she would come to worship, and, and he would show up after the music portion and, and, and sit with her, just quiet, arms crossed, really didn't say a lot. Not long after that, he stopped taking the Lord's Supper, and then... He revealed to her like a bombshell. He said, Casey, I no longer believe in God. I don't believe in any of this. I'm an atheist at heart. I am not going to church with you anymore. Casey told Kyle, she said, I didn't marry an atheist. <laughs> she said, I married somebody I thought was a Christian. She said, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can stay in this relationship. After seeking marriage counseling, the counselor suggested that, that she and Kyle choose a book. And so they, they began to read through a C.S. Lewis book, and he said, maybe it'll at least keep communication open about spiritual things. So he agreed to do that. So every night before bedtime, uh, Casey uh, and Kyle would sit, and they began reading this book. Casey admits that coping with the empty seat next to her in worship Sunday after Sunday became very daunting, and it became very lonely in some respects. She even said, I don't know how this is going to work out. And I remember uh, one Sunday in particular after service, everybody had left and Casey was sitting in tears on the front row. And my wife and I came and we sat by Casey and we began to console her because in her spirit that had changed, her husband wasn't there. And she, she, couldn't, she couldn't deal with it. And she began to say, I just don't think this is going to happen. Well, they finished the first book, and then uh, they picked another book. And she says they, they picked uh, a book after they had finished the C.S. Lewis, a, a book called Life of a Skeptic by Gregory Boyd. She said it's a book corresponding to becoming an agnostic, right? I mean, what a great book to read. And so they begin reading that, and, and, and Kyle, for the first time, began to kind of engage in that, right? She didn't beat him over the head with the gospel. It was just a quiet way. Let's start talking about these questions you have. They finished that book, and they put it down, and she remembers that her dear husband looked her in the eye and took her by the hands, and he said, Casey, I believe. Two words. I believe. Then he said, let's go back to church. I remember the Sunday that he came back to church. They came in just as the music was starting, and he had a big new Bible he had bought in hand. He had a notebook. They came and sat on the front row, and he opened it up, and he began to just soak all of this in. In fact, I talked to Casey and Kyle this week. I just told them I was going to be sharing their story here. 
See, Kyle walked back into church because of the faithfulness of his wife. Now, I would love to tell you that that happens in every case, but it doesn't necessarily happen in every story. But I'll tell you one thing Casey said that struck me. And if you, if you haven't heard her testimony, by the way, you can go to our website at thejourneyclean.com. It's under, under Real Life Stories. She recounts this story. But she finally said, God, if, if Kyle comes to Christ, man, I'm going to praise you for it. But she said, even if he doesn't, she said, I am okay with that. See, that's what she got is a place where her relationship with Jesus was so much greater. So this is our big idea this morning. Marriage, okay, is the gospel on display. Okay, so what she was displaying to her husband was the gospel in, in everything she did, and, and you look at the beginning of chapter 3, when it talks about, it says, Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if he doesn't believe in God, even if he doesn't obey the word, they may be one without a word or conduct being said by the wife. And so this is, this is kind of where all this plays in. Then look at verse 2. She says, When they see you respectful in your pure conduct, okay? I mean, she had to have a change of heart in her life. See, God gave us marriage to enjoy the display of the gospel of Christ. Christ should have a defining effect on your relationships wherever you're at. And so I want to give us uh, three things this morning that I think play into that change of heart. The first one is wives who submit to their husbands show a fundamental identity change of attitude. So she would tell you her whole attitude changed because before that she was bitter and she's like God I didn't I didn't ask for this why would I be in a relationship with a spouse who doesn't love you why would you place me there why would you put me into an area where where I'm gonna have to struggle through a lot of these things alone see wedding vows are, are some of those things that sometimes will stand up and for most people in our culture today what are they it's a contract Man, it's like a legal document. I got, the, I got the marriage license to prove it, right? Anybody can go down to the courthouse and apply for a marriage license and stand before justice of the peace and get married. I mean, it, it's a no-brainer, right? It's, it's a pretty easy thing. But I believe the wedding vows go much deeper. In fact, a five-year-old um, girl was playing with her dolls one day. And at one stage uh, of the wedding, uh, first playing the role of the bride's mother who assigned specific duties, then suddenly became the bride with her teddy bear as the groom. She picked him up and said to the minister presiding over the wedding, Now you can read us our rights without mu- missing a beat. Christy began to become the minister, and she said, You have the right to remain silent. You, anything you say can and will be held against you in a court of law. Amen. You may now kiss the bride. Okay, I mean, think about that. I mean, there's a lot of, ch- I mean, most people, when they hear the word submit, that's what they think of. They think you're being read your rights. Your life is done, right? If you've ever heard the old expression, now I got the old ball and chain or something like that. Those are such derogatory terms to a precious marriage. Because what do we view it as? We view it as a legal contract. Not a spiritual relationship. See, Christian women who submit to their husbands, and particularly to their non-Christian husbands, not because they are in some way inferior to, to that man that they're married to, but because they love God more. They love Him greater. See, the fundamental attitude is as a servant of God. You see yourself as serving God first. 
You say, I am a servant of God first. See, the way that you submit to your husband shows how you really feel about Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you this morning, if you're single here and you're dating, the way you choose the people you're going to date says a lot how you feel about Jesus Christ. Okay, those people you choose to be in a relationship with. See, see, we learned last week that we submit to authority always unto Christ. See, each time a wife models godliness, it's another movement of her husband towards the gospel of Christ and away from the world. Right. So every time a wife that may be in a difficult um, situation begins to submit in godliness and in love, and it says here in, in, in respect and in her conduct and how she carries herself. There's an influence of her husband away from the godless world towards Jesus Christ. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, 13 through 14, it says, if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So all of this is bent towards, uh, I mean, building a holy life together. And so basically what Paul says in 1 Corinthians is if, if they concede to live with you, Okay, and, and, and to try to work this thing out, we should try to work it out, as difficult as that is to conceive today, because we choose many times to leave something that maybe we should fight for. Now, I'm not, like I said, I, I said at the preface of this, this doesn't ever move into the area of, of uh, spousal abuse or neglect or anything like that. See, we cannot change the person we're married to. One of the first things I tell in, in premarital counseling 101, I have them look at each other eye to eye, mano a mano, and I said, I want you to look each other in the eye, and I want you to know that this person you're marrying today, do not expect that they will change once you put a ring on your finger. Okay? Because that's what happens many times. We think, well, they'll change. Now, now I'm not talking about growth. Yeah, there's growth in a relationship. But that person is who, who you married right? And they may never change. See, the cultural context is women who are in some cases married to an unbelieving husband are to be submissive with the end goal always unto God. In fact, in Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, this is a quintessential um, a marriage submission and what husband and wives are supposed to do. Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of his wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. So you have this whole picture principle of headship. Now I will tell you, this is probably one of the most unpopular things in our culture today, is the headship of the marriage, okay? Because somewhere along the way, it's just become denigrated to the point to where there is no headship. See, God made Adam head over Eve. That's the way it happened in the garden. In fact, after God made Adam, yet there's this issue, this kind of murkiness, okay, of submission. So how are you going to learn to submit if there's not a headship in your home? How do we learn that mutual submission? See, this is when we're called to be joint heirs with Christ, God created us male and female. Problem number two that our society has done is they begin to tell us it's you may not be happy being female or male and so this is where we get the whole transgender agenda and so we begin to try to mess with God's creation because we're not satisfied we are not satisfied with how God made us see marriage is a union where the two become one flesh see this is a God union 
I mean, remember in Genesis, God brought uh, Eve to Adam, right? After he did surgery and, and created her out of his rib. And I think there's a, a, a definitely a great biblical picture that he took the rib, okay? What, what does your rib cage hold in? Well, all your organs. It holds all those internal things, right, that protect you, right? The rib cage is your only barrier before you get to some vital organs. That is a protective shield. I think there's a great picture there of what a husband is to be for a wife. In fact, if you're single here today, maybe you're wondering, well, that's great, but what does this say for me? Ladies, you should desire to have a husband who wants to lead you well for the glory of God. You should want that with everything you are. So um, I shared several weeks back um, my story about my daughter and her husband now. Uh, so Chris comes to see me and wants to date my daughter. And they're both in college. And my daughter doesn't just date. She's looking for, for that person that will lead her well. Now I remember looking Chris right in the eye. I probably scared the pee waddle out of me. And, and I said, Chris, I want you to know, before I answer whether you can date my daughter or not, okay, She's looking for a future husband to lead her well. I said, if you're not planning on spiritually leading my daughter well, don't even start. Don't date her. Because that's what she's looking for. She needs somebody to lead her well. See, the fundamental attitude to serve your husband is for the sake of Christ. So your unparalleled love for the Word of God needs to be deliberately coupled with a gentle spirit. Okay, so now I've seen the opposite sometimes where, where the wife thinks, man, I'm just going to beat him with the gospel into the kingdom of God. Okay, and, and ladies can tell me, but I've, I've heard that doesn't seem to work too well. Okay, because they begin to draw further back. And so, so we understand that in the, in the marriage relationship, okay, that, that ladies, the way you treat and view your husband is a clear reflection of of, of who you think Jesus is and, and what he means to you. And so the things you're looking for in a husband, single ladies, is a clear reflection of how you feel about Christ. So all social relationships lead to Christ. It all leads to the cross. Everything we're doing leads to that relationship. See, the Christian life is a daily struggle in and of itself. But it's a daily struggle with beauty. We're always and forever appraising and valuing and attaching other things to beauty, right? Um, I used to use this line. I don't think I've used it in a while in a wedding. But um, when I read uh, about the grafting and, and the union in Genesis, I'll say, now, now I want you to know this text does not say that I will love you every day if you look just as beautiful as you do right now, okay? Because you know what's going to happen? Beauty fades, Right? I mean, that, that skin dip beauty, it, I mean, we try, man, we, we've got all kinds of creams and stuff we put on our face, and man, we try to make ourselves look better, and man, I'm, I'm going to throw my man card out there, because my wife told me several years ago, she said, man, Mark, what are those things in the corner of your eyes, you know, you're getting those crow's feet, and that, that. she says, you're starting to look like a Marlboro man when you come in, and I'm like, what? I'm just going, I never looked, so I went and looked myself in the mirror, and the fact, I'm going, dude, she's right, my face is just 
deteriorating, right? And so I started using some of her cream because I'm like, man, I don't want this. You know, I want to I be that guy she married, right? Well, she didn't mean that in a bad way. And later she said, she, she said don't, I, don't, I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just noticing things, right? See, the fundamental attitude of our marriage is that we are married to Christ first. And I think we have to realize that. See, everyone longs to give themselves completely to something or someone. In fact, um, Paul Tripp, in, uh, in, his, uh, in his book, How People Change, he says, what does it mean to be married to Christ? He says, Christ has made us the recipients of the affection, and in turn, we are to take him as the ultimate object of ours. And then he goes on to say, he says, what false lovers entice us to forget the true husband of our faithfulness. Think about that. What false lovers, so this is the thing, is the false lover of this world is a personal comfort that leads us down a difficult road. So you look at the next part in, in verses 2 through 4. It says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external. And the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and the clothing that you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, which is imperishable. Remember, we talk, we've talked about that already beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which in god's sight is precious see the most beautiful thing about a woman is the incorruptible nature of her soul that's the most beautiful thing about a woman it's the incorruptible nature of her soul so what's he saying here and i and i'll flesh this out because this verse has sometimes been misused to say that women shouldn't wear anything nice they should just wear drab clothes no makeup you know you shouldn't do anything this is uh, i want to tell you this isn't a call to to make yourself look as ugly as possible okay it's not a call not to not to in fact if you take it literally then you'd say women shouldn't wear clothes at all okay because i mean you don't adorn yourself with anything but that's not what he's saying here he's saying that the most beautiful thing about your wife about your girlfriend about the person that you are sitting next to this morning is the incorruptible nature of their soul so here you go single guys i'm going to give you a great pickup line this week okay so if you're dating uh, you can use this this is free of charge so you see a young lady then you think you might want to garner a date with some with her sometime so here's what you do you walk up to them say hey baby i think i might want to date you but you know first can I see the incorruptible nature of your soul? <laughs> She's like, what? I want to see the incorruptible nature of your soul. See, that's the beauty I'm looking for, right? And I mean, I don't know if it'll work for you, but Peter is saying there is an incorruptible nature of the beauty of women. According to Peter, an incorruptible beauty is pictured in a gentle and a quiet spirit, but it's also pictured in a relationship to Jesus Christ. What, what is the thing you see in her life? What draws you to her? Um, man, I, I can tell you the thing that drew me to my wife, and, and this is so true. Um, the first time I heard her pray out loud, right? And I'll just let you know, if you ask my wife to pray, she won't turn you down, but she'll shy away many times because she gets so emotional because it's such a spiritual connection to her. And, and she doesn't pray much out loud without weeping just bursting in tears and that drew me to her 
It wasn't the physical outside of what she looked like. See, in the Roman world, it was assumed many times that wives were conformed to the religious and practices of their husband. Well, many of those, they had a whole cultist thing going on, a Bacchus who worshipped these Egyptian gods and Isis, and, and so they would, they would adorn themselves. And apparently, I guess, in, in those days, there was something sexy about hair. Okay, that's why he talks about braiding of hair. That was a that was a a, a a sensual thing. Okay, and so ladies would adorn their hair with jewels and 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 flowery things. And he's saying, but you're missing the point. See, the deep growing beauty of a woman who trusts in the Lord is going to have the greatest effect on your life. That is the thing that is going to have the greatest effect on your life. So the later church fathers, they interpreted it all wrong, right? And so they, they messed it up in many ways. See, modesty and restraint should be the mark of every Christian woman, okay? But it doesn't mean that we can't look nice, but what it means is, is in your lifestyle and the way you present yourself and the things you wear, okay? Man, I was, I was a student pastor for almost 20 years, and I'll tell you the one single thing I struggle with the most anytime we would go to a youth camp or a youth event, and I would have to go through with the parents what the appropriate dress is, right, for the bus, what the appropriate dress is for the, if we did do pool stuff, we just quit doing swimming pool altogether because you could never get that one right, and so we're just like, these, these kids are full of hormones, okay, do you get that mama and daddy, okay, because I have a daughter, you know, they need to dress modestly, and in fact, when we go into uh, other countries like Haiti and on mission trips, if you ever do a foreign mission trips, many times, okay, and, and the women are, are purposely asked to dress modestly because that's a Western culture thing. In most other cultures, women don't flaunt things like they do in this culture. And so many times our ladies would, would take these, these skirts, long skirts, right, to cover up uh, their legs. Now, I'm not... I'm not advocating that in your daily life or anything like that, but but in this manner, we learn and we notice that Peter starts with the privilege that that we have in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we come to the part I'm sure every lady in here was waiting for. Let's get to the men. Verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Okay? Um, So the word understanding... Okay, in Greek, literally means to know her. It means to intimately know her. Not just understand, but know her. See, there's a, there's a confusion, uh, I think, in our culture today about masculinity and raising boys. Um, in fact, best-selling author Peggy uh, Orstein recently spent two years speaking to boys across America. And she surveyed 1,006 to 10 Uh, to 19-year-olds in a variety of different situations. And the definition of masculinity seems to be, she said, contracting. She says, when asked what traits society values most in boys, only 2% of males in the survey said, honestly, morality. 8% said leadership skills. When I asked them what they liked about being a boy, most of them drew a blank. One said, huh, used Josh, a college sophomore. That's interesting. I've never thought about that before. You hear a lot more about the wrong picture of masculinity among boys and even men. A part of her research, she continued to say, is the ideal late 19th century man used to be compassionate caretaker for his wife. He used to do these, these foreign things today, open the door, right? I was, man, I, my dad almost came out in me 
but I was going into a store the other day, and a young man came in, and a lady was stepping in front of me, and I always step back, okay? It's not a, it's not a, you know, I'm all for women's equal right, but I was taught you let the ladies go first, and this young man ran right in front of her and opened the door and ran in, and didn't, th- I almost shut the door where he hit her in the face. I'm like, man, if I could have reached out, I probably would have grabbed him by the shirt and put him and said, young man, what are you doing? Why? Well, I, I think somewhere in a movement in our Western culture, okay, women have said, man, I don't need a man. I don't, I don't need a man. I, I don't need a man to open the door for me. I don't need a man to do these things for me. But the thing is, you should want someone like that. And that's why it says here, it says that we need to, men, we need to live with them in an understanding way. See, during this 20th century traditional paths to manhood and early breadwinning and and the idea of being having positive traits that, that young boys can look at, today many parents are unsure of how to raise a boy. What sort of masculine things should we teach them? And so sometimes even those things, I believe our young men are being demasculized. I mean, it's just, it's not a thing anymore. See, husbands who know their wives honor their wives as a container of God's grace. Think about that. Husbands who know their wives, do you truly know them and honor them? Then you are going to want to give them that honor. And he goes on to say, look at the end of this. So he says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you. So we live considerately with our wives. It literally means living together in the knowledge so you know their wants, their needs, their desires, their fears, okay? The, the things that, um, man, uh, this is, <laughs> I'm going to give one of my pet peeves this morning. You know, men, many times, like if, if their wife is emotional, okay? I mean, just physically emotional. Oh, she's just hormonal. I'm like, What? <laughs> You know, well, what do do we do? We're we're playing it off as I'm not attending to her needs, okay? I'm not sympathizing with my wife. So to know our wife means we know what she needs. Husbands, you know, I I think many times, um, you know, that, um, uh, you know, wives kind of may balk at the whole submission thing. But you know what? Husbands, you you should want to trade places sometime. Look what it says in Ephesians 5.25. This is what men are to do. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, women might grumble about the idea of submitting. I believe men have a greater calling. Not a holier, okay, but a greater calling because it says that we have to love you sacrificially. That means the minute we say, I do, and we put that ring on our finger, we're saying, I will die for you. I'll do anything for you. And, and the thing is about Jesus Christ, see, the, 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 the relationship that, that he had with the Father. See, Christ loves the church, but he loves the church selflessly, not selfishly. He loves the church with everything he has. See, the Bible does not tell the husband to love their wives if their wives submit to them first. He says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And and take this, though. It doesn't tell wives to submit to their husbands if their husbands start loving them as Christ loved the church. It doesn't say that. See, husbands are called to love their wives, period, as Christ loved the church. Husbands honor their wives best through considerate understanding. 
How do you show empathy and understanding for your wife? If there's anything I've learned in 31 years of marriage, it's to listen. I think many times in our relationships, we stop listening. Somewhere we just check out, right? Or we just fade out. We're like, man, I've had a long day at work. I, I don't want to, I just don't want to, to hear it. Notice he says that women are the weaker vessel. What does he mean by that? Peter's not referring to a weaker vessel as weak-minded, okay? Peter clearly is speaking of physical strength. It is no secret unless somehow you've taken something to be genetically enhanced, okay? Women, by physical nature, tend to, for the most part, okay, I've seen a few exceptions, <laughs> be physically weaker than guys. That's just, that's just the way we were created. Unfortunately, those in our culture today who are not happy with that, they want to change it. See, this means that you recognize the delicate nature of your wife. Um, I read an article the other day, said, and it caught my attention. It said, want a happy marriage? Do the dishes together. <laughs> What's the one thing at the end of a day you look at each other and kind of like, all right, who's going to do the dishes, right? I mean, we, we, it's, it's the ongoing thing even in our house. Um, so think about this. Every day, they slowly accumulate plates with sauce, crumbs, disgusting stuff. If you have children, sippy cups where the milk soured on the rim, right? None of that is pretty. In fact, the report of the Council of Contemporary Families, this is what they suggest. They said the answer to that question can have significant ramifications. And you know what they found? They found that couples who have shared responsibility in the home are happier by far, than those who don't, okay? Well, why is that? Well, many times, there, there are many relationships where women do all of the household chores. They do all the washing. They do all the cleaning. They do all those things. And so there's no shared relationship. And they found that those satisfaction levels are far less. And in fact, many times, they struggle in their relationship. Well, what is it about dishes? Well, Dan Carlson said this. He said, the, the lead author of a study on this, he said, doing dishes is gross. Nobody wants to do dishes. I don't want to do dishes, okay? I don't like it. But there is, when, when you see all of this stuff, what does this say? See, couple dishwashing together with the relationship you have with your spouse. And I would say, husbands, do you love your wife in an understanding way? What does that mean? That means to know her, to know this is not just her responsibility. We're, and this is the biggest thing. If you, don't, if you don't get anything else, you're in this together. And, and he says this. He says, you're called to be joint heirs together in the grace of Christ. See, the nature of dishwashing encourages couples to stand in the kitchen together simultaneously. You're working at this thing together. See, the other way, it's like, I got my job and you got your job, and, and the two don't meet. See, husbands honor their wives best when they're growing in that knowledge of their wives' needs, what they need. Why the knowledge of God many times fails is that the saving knowledge that we have within a relationship tends to fade away from the marriage, right? And we see it just as a legal contract. I've just got a legal contract with you. See, husbands honor their wives best when they view them as their, as their partners in the gracious gift of life. There, there are a couple of things here. Peter is stressing this mutual relationship, but he also, this is also why you should not live or engage in a relationship, okay? And I'm talking about cohabitation or a sexual relationship outside of marriage. Why? Because 
when you're doing that, what are you doing? You're, you're giving away, you're living in this container, okay, that, that God didn't ordain, okay? It's not pleasing of God. Why? Because you're sharing in the life that was only meant to be between a husband and wife. And we see this over and over and over again. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 19, says, do, not, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Then they shall be members of Christ. Don't make them a member of a prostitute. So it literally says that when you join outside of marriage, you're making it something that it was never meant to be. The one flesh union is physical, but it's also spiritual. And that's where it comes at the end of this. So check this out. So it said, they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers, and notice there's a comma there, so this is to, to both submission for husbands, okay, and this is, uh, or submission for wives, and this is also for honoring your, your wife, husbands, at the same time. He said, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This means God does not want to hear our prayers, our cries for help, if we're not going to honor each other in marriage. He doesn't want to hear it. My, uh, my mom and dad came to mind this week to me in, in a really powerful way. Uh, my uh, mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer 10 years ago, maybe a little over 10. Uh, she was not expected, her life expectancy was about five or six years. Uh, she has a, a rare form of, of bone disease that just kind of deteriorates the bone a little bit at a time. Okay, so mom now has gotten to where um, her hands shake so bad, so uncontrollably, uh, she, can't even, she can't even hold a fork, she can't hold a plate, she can't, she can't do any of those things that she always did. It's really frustrating for her. I remember I'd visit, and man, I, I would just see her struggle with that. My dad, um, I love my dad. Man, I, I have such great honor and respect for my dad. Um, but honestly, early on in, in, in my life, childhood, I, I don't know that I saw all this display. But you know what I've seen over the last 10 years? I've seen a man that loves his wife as Christ loved the church. He, uh, he began to cook. He cooks all the meals at their house now. Does all the dishes, the cleaning. I mean, he's, he's pretty much taking over all of this. I never thought I'd be swapping recipes with my dad. That's just a crazy thing, right? My dad's like, hey, have you heard this recipe? I'm like, who's this man? I don't know him, Right? Man, I, I'm just telling you, we need to think about what does the world see in our relationships? What do they see in our marriage? And so I'd ask you that question this morning. What do people see when they look at you? What do they see when they look at your marriage? See, it is Christ's hope that men and women may say to themselves as they are in a Christian marriage, I have never seen God sometime before. But when I look at their marriage, man, I see God. That's what somebody should see. So the outside world, when they see your relationship, they may say, I've never seen God before. I don't even know who He is. But when I see this relationship, man, I see God now. See, if we can truly make this our goal, then I believe that husbands and wives are going to have such a great bond. They're going to have a relationship that, that, that they'll want to write books about. I mean, if Christ can give His wife, okay, uh, and if we understand that, that if he can give his wife the grace that she deserves, so we're, we're, we're the bride, right? We know in, in Scripture says we're the bride of Christ. He's the groom. 
and he gave you the beauty of the grace of life that's the most attractive thing you'll ever have then i would ask you how are you submitting well how are you honoring well and how are you loving well i want to read uh first peter 4 8 and this comes towards the end of first peter this morning uh, but this ties to this text peter says above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. And this is my last little tidbit of wisdom for you this morning that I've learned through life and uh, through relationships. You need to learn to forgive. If you can't learn to forgive, it's going to be very hard to love your wife as Christ loved the church, and wives will be very hard to submit to your husband. You need to learn to forgive as Christ forgave us. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful this morning, God, that you take us, God, you take our relationships, Father, that you make us new. And Father, wherever people are at this morning, whatever relationship they're in, Father, God, we know you have them there for a purpose and a reason. And Father, I I wouldn't even attempt to stand up here this morning and pretend I understand the difficulties that many people are going through. But Father, I know you do. And so Father, I'm praying that you heal relationships, heal lives, heal hearts. And if there's been times, God, in our marriages and our relationships when we haven't shown you to be true, when we haven't loved our spouse and we haven't uh, honored them as we should, or we haven't submitted as we should have, Father, God, please forgive us this morning of the times we have not displayed the gospel in our marriage. And I pray, Father, that this would be a new day, a new chapter in somebody's life, Father, who's going through those struggles and those pains and all those things that go along with it, Father. And Father, I know that you're in the business of changing relationships and lives. And Father, I saw you change Casey and Kyle's life. And so I'm praying this morning, Father, for those that are hurting God with uh, marriages, um, maybe even of abuse uh, over years and years and years, or marriages of neglect. Father, that you'll bring healing in the only way you can. Father, we'll learn to glorify you even in the middle of our difficult life. Because we love you and we know you have us here that greater purpose of your glory always, Lord. We pray all these things in your amazing name. Amen. So this morning...